What's in a name? It's interesting. Names always uh, bring to mind uh, certain images and certain meanings. Uh, the minute you hear their name. For instance, uh, what pops into your head when you hear the name Orville Redenbacher? What lights up your thoughts when you hear the name Thomas Edison? You see where I'm going. What passes across the panorama of your mind when you hear the name Patrick Mahomes? Yeah. (laughs) Do, Do you know what your name means? Who knows what their name means? Rachel, what does your name mean? Shepherdess? Okay. Larry? Laurel wreath or victorious heart. Laurel wreath or victorious heart. Who else? Blake? Black. Is it really? I thought it was pale. No, seriously, I thought it was white. I don't know. Okay. Blanca? Anybody else? Yours is Lily? How appropriate. Mine is the planter. Song of joy. Song of joy, Carol? Yeah. Okay. Court and he is... What is it? One who attends to the court. If only that were true. No, it's... Names... names arena, do you know what your name means? Oh, like, like a, an arena. Okay. Um, and Ruth? Friendship. Friendship. Okay. Sometimes names, are just, they, again, they, they take on the, in, especially in, in, in the Bible, they gave names that um, were given to characterize or to distinguish that person. Corey, could you turn me down just a little bit? I'll move this down a little bit. Uh, and, and, and so what I'd like us to do today is, is just consider the name Jesus. And what does that name, how is that name distinguished? What characterizes that name? Or at least what does the Bible give us in terms of the characteristics of the name Jesus? So turn, if you would, uh, with me to Luke chapter 2. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and was pondering what kind of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. But Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason also the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. 
And behold, even your relative Elizabeth herself has conceived a son in her old age. And she is called, and, and she who was called infertile is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the Lord's bondservant, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What should we think of uh, when we say the name Jesus? Um, first of all, I, I think it's important to recognize that, that while the, the name Jesus uh, is very precious to us, in, in, when he was born, um, it was not that big of a deal in terms of a name. In fact, the, the, Hebrew, ver, the, the Hebrew version is Joshua or Yeshua. And Joshua was a, obviously a very common name. Um, can you imagine you know, the, the, the shepherds running through the streets? Joshua is born. Joshua is born. And they probably had four Joshuas on the block already. It would kind of, be kind of like the name John to us. The name Jesus was a very common name. There was, in, other, in other words, there was nothing about that name itself uh, that, that conjured any kind of attention. Um, it was a very humble name. It was a very humble, common name. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus himself was a very common man in, in terms of his appearance, for instance. Um, the, 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 the prophecies in Isaiah was that he, would, he was the rose of Sharon. And again, we conjure up this, you know, this beautiful rose but that phrase, Rose of Sharon, was a, was a designation of the average field flower in Palestine. In other words, there was nothing about Jesus physically that people were attracted to him physically. And there was nothing about his name per se that was really special in that sense. It was just Joshua. And yet at the same time, the scriptures revealed to us that there was so much more to that name than just the common name Jesus, or just the common name, Joshua. For instance, look with me at verse 32. Uh, the end of 31, he says, You shall name him Jesus, and he will be great. When we think of the name Jesus, when we say the name Jesus, we are to conjure, we are to think of greatness. Greatness in terms of importance. Greatness in terms of, of estimation. In other words, Whenever we speak this name, this name shouldn't just be, in fact, an ordinary name to us. The, the, his name is great. He is great. His name is great. It, no birth in human history it was as monumental as this birth. And when he came into the world, he took his place as the great one. And, and we use that word maybe far too often, and, and it's lost its, significant, its significance. But he, in fact, is the one who was born, and he is the great one. Now, when we look at the, the miracle of the first Adam, and his name was Adam, that truly was a miracle. I mean, how, how did Adam come to be? God formed him out of the, the dirt, the dust, out of dirt. Uh, he, he was made out of dirt. He was formed from the ground. And then, God breathed life into him. I mean, just, a, just a, in, in, an absolute, amazing, monumental miracle. But nothing like the second Adam, that, that Paul talks about the second Adam. Because the first Adam, although his, his birth was, in fact, great. I mean, it was pretty amazing when you think about it. It was that Adam who brought sin, who brought condemnation, who brought judgment. I mean, Romans 5.12 tells us that. 
He brought grief. He brought disgrace. He brought a curse upon all his offspring. But again, Paul says the second Adam was even greater, was truly the great one. He, he fixed everything that the first Adam broke. Jesus was made fully man. I, I, we, we cannot fully grasp that. We cannot fully grasp the incarnation. And, and if you remember a long time ago when we talked about Christological heresies, the, the heretical views of Christ, the, the ways that we cannot, we cannot conceive of Christ, it's impossible for us to fully grasp fully God and fully man. One person, two natures, one human, one divine. Joined but not mixed. We can't fully comprehend that. And when we consider the name Jesus, we think of that. And one of the characteristics of that is great, greatness. The Bible says that he died for sin. He died for sinners. And as we looked at last week, he he brought light into a dark world. And that light, the darkness will not overcome it. He is, in fact, great. When we, we think of the name Jesus, although in his day that name would have been very common, very humble, whenever we say the name Jesus, we are to say, in fact, he is great. He is great. Number two, he says in verse 32, is that he'll be called the Son of the Most High. Son of the Most High. We, we heard the text this morning, the eternal Son of God, who existed from all eternity. In fact, let's read that again. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 1. Turn over to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He... he, uh, the second person of the Godhead stepped into time and he took on humanity, full humanity. And Isaiah in 7.14 says that we are to call him Emmanuel. This was a designation of, of who he was going to be in our lives and that is God with us. He is the Son of God. Now when we say Son, uh, it, it doesn't mean that he was begotten. It was He wasn't Born in a divine sense. Obviously he was born in a human sense. He wasn't born in a divine sense. And, and sometimes we, when we say the Son of God, we think that he was in some way inferior to the Father. He wasn't. Son is, is a designation. In fact, uh, it was a way that they would, they would talk about characteristics. For instance, remember in the Gospels, what were, Peter and, or what were James and John called? Sons of Thunder. But they weren't the offspring of thunder. So the phrase son of meant that they were characterized by thunder, by um, uh, uh, over the top and flying off the handle. In fact, in that, in that instance, they were calling down fire to burn up the village. Um, so son of God just means he shares the characteristics of God. The second person of the Godhead 
is in fact God. He is the Son of God. He is God Himself. He is not inferior to God the Father. He is equal to God the Father. But He is designated Son of God as the second person of the Godhead. When we say the name Jesus, we think of the fact that He's great. When we say the name Jesus, we are indicating He is the Son of God. Number three. Verse 32 again, back in Luke chapter 1. Verse 33. He says, He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David. The throne of His father David. When we think of the name Jesus, we are to think of Him as King. As king of Israel, in fact, the angel uh, clearly uh, reveals to Mary that he is the fulfillment of what's called the Davidic covenant or the promise, the Davidic promise. Um, to, to remind us, turn back to Second Samuel in your Old Testament. Second Samuel. Second Samuel, chapter seven. Verse 4, 2 Samuel 7, 4. But in the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and say to my servant David, This is what the Lord says. Should you build me a house for my dwelling? For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. Rather, I have been moving about in a tent that is in a dwelling place. Wherever I have gone with all the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, this is what you shall say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of hosts says. I myself took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be leader over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have eliminated all your enemies from you. I will also make a great name for you. There's that greatness again, that great name for you. Like the names of the great men who are on earth. And I will establish a place for my people Israel and I will plant them, so they mean live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Nor will malicious people oppress them any more as previously. Even from the day that I appointed judges over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. And when your days are finished and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up a descendant after you who will come from you and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. It's a key phrase. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is what the angel Luke says. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with strokes of sons of mankind. But my favor shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever, and your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Intertwined as he is speaking about both Solomon and a king that was to come. A king that would be that would reign forever. 
in the house of David. Uh, back in Luke, the angel says that this is in fact, Jesus was the fulfillment of that prophecy. Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise. That he would be the king of Israel. Forever. And in this Israel is not ethnic Israel, it's spiritual Israel. It's the king over his people forever. And, and, and in that great doxology in the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, he calls Jesus, in fact, King of Kings. And we're going to look at that again next week. And Sometimes that rolls off our tongues, and sometimes we don't really maybe realize what, what it really means. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is, he is the Eternal King, the one who will, in fact, reign forever. When we say the name Jesus, we think of the name that is great. We think of the one who is fully God, the Son of God, who was in fact fully man and fully God. We think of the one who came to reign as our king forever. Number four, though, was a fulfillment of prophecy in Luke 1, verse 33. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob Forever. Now, we have a tendency to skip over that part. What in the world is he talking about? Reign over the house of Jacob forever. Well, we don't need a commentary. We don't need... We can just look at the Bible. You go back. And if you go back to Genesis, um, this, in fact, this will reach us further back than David. And it brings to mind the words Jacob spoke to his son Judah before he died. So turn with me to Genesis 49. If you would. It's church. We use our Bibles here. So Genesis 49. This is right before Jacob's death. He's blessing his sons. And in verse 10, he's speaking to Judah. Genesis 49.10. He says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, or the nations. To him will be the obedience of the nations. In this verse, Jacob tells Judah that his descendants will be rulers. And ultimately, from Judah would come one who is called Shiloh. And Shiloh means... He whose it is. It's kind of a, you, you know, you talk about what your name means. If you're, if a, is there a Shiloh here today? He who it is. Whose it is. This designates a supreme ruler. The, the one whose all of it is, is Shiloh. The supreme ruler would come, Jacob says to Judah. And he says... He shall be the obedience of the peoples. This is a, this is a objective or a subjective genitive. In other words, the the obedience that the peoples will give to him. This word also can mean cleansing. So, in essence, what he's saying is there there is one who is coming from within you, from in your tribe, from the from the tribe of Judah, who will be called Shiloh. He will be a supreme ruler. He whose it is, all of the kingdom is. And, and he will cleanse and he will claim them as his own. And when we say the name Jesus, we refer to the one who perfectly fulfilled all of the ancient prophecies of the Messiah. 
He was, in fact, the one, the very beginning, who Jacob clearly told his son Judah would come from his line. Number five is that his name declares his poverty. His name declares his poverty. Turn with me back to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. His name is great. His name is the Son of God. His name means He is King. means that He is fulfillment of all of the prophecies of Messiah. But His name also declares His poverty. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of all the inhabited earth. And this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all the people were on their way to register for the census, each to his own city. Now Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she uh, wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I want to focus on verse 7. She gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and she laid him or because there was no room for them in the inn. This is, uh, this is part of the traditional Christmas story. And yet, we may miss it if we don't understand what inns were back then. Inns were very seedy places. They were typically not the kind of places you want to stay in. But, this is where most people could only afford. The inns were for poor travelers. Imagine, if you will, Motel 5. You don't even get Motel 6. Motel 5 on Colfax. These are where those who were who, who lacked means and who were poor, and when they traveled, they would they would check into inns. And inns were very seedy uh, places; they were very dangerous places. But that's all that most people could afford. The, the, the more well-to-do, the wealthier, they would rent shelter in private homes, much cleaner, much safer. Imagine the Hyatt Regency. Well, it's interesting. The family of Jesus apparently could not afford that luxury. And they attempted to check in at an inn. But there wasn't even room available in the inn. So they had to take a step down (laughs) from the inn. We don't know how it came about that they found some kind of a barn-type facility um, you ever said that to your kids? Were you born in a barn? And, and in Jesus' case, he would say, yes. I was born in a barn. In fact, I was laid in a feeding trough. The manger was a feeding trough. And, and, and uh, our, our nativity scenes, I, I thought we had it in here. We have nativity scenes. They just don't quite capture that first Christmas. Um, can you imagine... Can you, Carol probably knows what's on feeding troughs. What are feeding troughs like? Yeah. Not, not a place you want to lay a baby. Yeah. 
saliva. Um, and our nativity scenes just don't quite have the same kind of smell that I would imagine. You know, maybe we need a scratch and sniff nativity scene. <laughs> Jesus came from a very poor family. He couldn't afford, they couldn't afford the nicest jeans. He didn't have an iPhone. He had nothing. In fact, when he died, all he had literally was the shirt on his back, and even that was stripped off him and taken from him. When we think of the name Jesus, we think of we ought to think of his poverty. It's interesting that, that Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 9 picks up on this. Listen to what Paul says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, you might become rich. And don't miss the meaning of rich and poor here. He's not talking about material wealth. He's talking about spiritual wealth. Rich in terms of a relationship with Him, with God. His name declares His poverty. Number six, though, His name declares His mission. His name declares His mission. Matthew one twenty one says, You shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. When we say His name, we call to mind the great price that He paid for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin for us. That little baby... That, lied, that lay in a manger took on the curse of sin on our behalf, though He Himself was sinless. When we say the name Jesus, we, we, we call to mind that that was His mission, to save His people from their sins. When we say the name Jesus, we are to remember His, his boundless, unconditional love. We are to call to mind His selfless sacrifice. So we talked about our names and what they mean. What about Jesus? Well, technically it means the Lord saves. Yeshua. The Greek form, Jesus. But His name also elicits greatness. That He is King. That He is Son of God that He indeed fulfilled all of the, the ancient prophecies of the One who would be Mashiach, the Messiah. That His name means and elicits the, the notion of poverty, that, that He became poor, that we might become rich. And it, that name Jesus indicates why He came. And that was to save His people from their sins. The name Jesus. Uh, one day, the name of Jesus will be acknowledged by all. In conclusion, turn to the book of Philippians, if you would. 
Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. For this reason, what reason? By reason that he found himself in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. For that reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that the name Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day the name of Jesus will be acknowledged by all. And we have a choice. We can bow in reverence now to that name. We can, we can bow in reverence to the one who is great. To the one who is the Son of God. Who is God himself. To the one who is King who rules over all. He is king of kings and all the implications of that. When we say the name Jesus, the one who is the promised fulfillment of the Davidic covenant who would reign forever, the one who fulfills all the prophecies of the one who would come to save their people from their sins. We can either acknowledge him now and acknowledge him doesn't mean, okay, yeah, I believe historically he lived and he existed, but it means to bow the knee. Every knee will bow. That means to submit and surrender yourself to him. And the Bible says that that's done by grace alone, through faith alone. You don't need to run around the church five times. You don't have to give $1,000. You don't have to try to be a good person and, and, and do your best not to, to do bad things. But the Bible just simply says, will you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus, will you bow and submit and humble yourself before him and give your life to him as the one who is the son of God who died to save you of your sin? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Bow now. Because someday you will bow. Either now or later. But if you wait till later, then you will be bowing to him in judgment, in condemnation. But make no mistake about it. At, at the name of Jesus, everyone will bow. Uh, it was interesting when I was uh, when I was in seminary. Um, one of my professors, um, Gordon Lewis, he was part of the systematic theology. They called it integrated theology. I'll never forget one day when he, we were talking about Jesus. And um, he said, you know, oftentimes we hear the saying, people say there are, there are many roads to God. Right? And what do we say when we say that? Typically we always say, no, there's only one road to God. He said, no, make no mistake about it. There are many, all roads eventually will lead to God. Only one leads to him in salvation. The other leads to him in, in condemnation. But everyone will face Jesus. All roads will eventually go to God. The question is, will the, is the road you on the road to salvation or is on the road to judgment? 
Will you bow to Jesus now? Or will you bow to Him then? Bow to Him now. Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Father, it is at that name, Jesus, that is so precious to us. It is a great name. It is a kingly name. Yet at the same time, it's a humble name. It's a, a name who, that, that depicts poverty. That, that, that for our sake, though he was rich, he became poor. And Father, it is at that name that we bow in submission and reverence. It is that name that we believe that He died for our sins. And all who would believe in Him might receive eternal life and be saved. Father, we need to remind ourselves that every knee will bow. Someday, every knee will bow to Jesus. What a day that will be. And it's in that name that we pray. Amen. Would you please stand and join hands? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and